Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and CastBox. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. Well, it's spring training time for uh, baseball teams as they get set to uh, open up spring training play down in Florida and Arizona. We're going to focus on that, and we're going to talk with uh, Christy Ackert of the New York Daily News. She covers the Yankees, and also Tim Healy of Newsday, who covers the Mets, and we'll talk a little college hockey with Tim. My first guest has, uh, guest has been a very busy man calling college basketball games and conducting an interview with Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred. He's getting ready for another MLB season with ESPN. Uh, please welcome Carl Ravish to the show. Carl, uh, thanks for coming on. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks very much. It feels like with that introduction, like we should fire off the applause card. Like I should walk <laughs> on the stage, raise a hand, but that's very kind of you. I'm doing very well. It's been, uh, it's been a fun, very interesting time in Major League Baseball, for sure. Well, before we get into that, I mean, your whirlwind schedule, I mean, you've been calling basketball games and doing the interview. Uh, you look, didn't, you didn't shave for the interview. I was kind of uh, watching that. I was like, oh, Carl didn't shave. <laughs> that's actually, believe it or not, as, as terrible as this sounds, that kind of a look, I think I've been, I've been informed that as you try to grow a beard, you can actually maintain it. And somebody presented me with one of those razors that allow you to kind of crop it down. I got home and my wife, my wife Chris, said, you, you've got to short, like you, you can shorten that, you know. And I, I've now subsequently learned that, so it, I hope it looks a little more David Ross-ish. It kind of has a bit more controlled look to it. But yeah, it was... Uh, that, that interview occurred Sunday morning. Uh, we, we all arrived around 6.30 in the morning, so I kind of fell back on the excuse of, well, we all just got up, and let's just kind of fight through this. Well, we'll talk a, bit, a little bit about that interview in the first, but uh, I want to talk about somebody that uh, you worked with when uh, you arrived in Harrisburg in uh, Pennsylvania in the summer of 1990. Uh, I was working at the York Daily Record, getting ready to leave there uh, to come up to here to, to the Daily Gazette. Uh, Greg Mace, uh, he passed away in December. What was it like to work with him, and how much of an influence was he on your career? Well, just a great, 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 great man. I mean, uh, more than his ability to be a good sports player. me a great deal about that, but a really great, great guy. In fact, I've told him this and, and told him fairly recently prior to his passing. I said, look, he was largely responsible for me leaving and uh, and getting to ESPN because it struck me early on. He was so entrenched in that community. He loved it so much. His family was there. He was a diehard Hershey Bears guy. He was so into the local sports scene. It occurred to me that, you know, generally as you move around in this industry, you know, the main guys try to leave. They want to go so you can maybe start on the weekends and go to the weekdays. And I knew he, this guy wasn't going to leave. And lo and behold, here we were. You know, 25 years after I got to ESPN, and I, I was proven correct. He, he never left. He, uh, you know, he loved that particular place so much and was such a big part of the fabric of that community uh, that he wasn't going to go anywhere. I, I think he taught me a lot about uh, the value of storytelling and, and local sports. Um, you know, and, and I try to do this in the games that I do, uh, whether it's a major league game, a college basketball game, Little League World Series is a great example of it. Uh, he was smart enough to realize that the the scores and the X's and O's, while important, 
shouldn't take away from the stories behind who's contributing to the X's and O's and the goals that are scored and the home runs that are hit. There are stories there, and as we do games, uh, I'm much more of a conversationalist, and I, I took that, that from him. He, I grew up in Boston, and Boston is a very hardcore sports town, and they were really into the scores and the outcomes. And in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, you know, you got to tell the stories of the local kids, whether it's uh, York Catholic with Brian Pearl uh, or John Ritchie at Cumberland Valley. You, you've got to get to know the people behind those stories. He, he taught me that, and it does work at the national level. So that's just scratching the surface as to the value of Greg Mace. Yeah, I mean, I you know, knew Greg from the time when I was uh – York College, Pennsylvania, handling, uh, calling in scores for basketball games, and then later right. on, you know, covering Hershey Bears and Harrisburg Centers. I will always see him at the Senators games uh, ne- next to his cameraman, keeping score. I mean, he was, he loved it. So, um, let's get into the interview here with uh, Rob Manfred. I, I watched it, uh, the full interview uh, yesterday on the ESPN YouTube channel. I, it struck me that I think. I think he, I think Rob Manfred dropped the ball, and it seemed like he was afraid of the baseball union because he didn't want to punish these guys. But it, you look at what's going on with the players around Major League Baseball; they're, they're they are ticked off about this whole thing, and they think that uh, uh, Manfred should have punished these guys. Uh, what did you co- take out of that interview? Yeah, isn't it odd that you now have you have players who are, in a sense, angry at the commissioner for not punishing members of their own union? Um, that you talk about uh, a dynamic that rarely, if ever, would exist. Players are angry at the commissioner because he didn't punish the players who are represented by the same association, the guys that are angry and the guys that didn't get punished. Um, look, Rob Manfred's history is in law. I got to know him 20-plus years ago as he was the labor lawyer, the chief negotiator for Major League Baseball. Um, I'm never going to be convinced that anybody understands labor law better than he does. There may be some that know it as well as he does, but nobody, in my opinion, would know it better, especially as it pertains to dealing with a player's union that he is as intimately familiar with as anybody. He calculated in his mind that if I were to try to go after the players and punish them, there were enough circumstances the way this whole thing broke down that they would file grievances, and I think his term was, we would get hammered. Um, He knows the history. He has a real good feel for the position that he would be in. He understands the position the Players Association would be in. It's not a fight that he thought he was going to win, and as a result, he he didn't want to engage in it. Now, history may view that decision as as questionable, as wrong, as a mistake. He's also trying to dance that fine line between getting the truth, which is the most important, which I think we did, we got the truth, and also making sure that the relationship with the Players Association is such that so as they try to negotiate a new collective bargaining agreement, uh, they can work together as opposed to creating further animosity between the two. And again, it is a, it's almost an impossible dance uh, to have go successfully, and I think he tried it, I think it, it blew up on him, and it's going to be interesting to see what direction the two sides go in. Are they able to come together on new bylaws, on punishment and discipline for sign stealing? Are they able to move forward on retaliation between the players and how that's handled? Um, 
And then obviously, the larger picture, are they able to work together to come together on a new collective bargaining agreement? Does the relationship dissolve so far that that becomes something they can't do in the short term? Uh, or do they use this opportunity to somehow work together? I think the mistake in the end was not was not taking the title away. And I think, you know, what we've learned over the last 72 hours is in a lot of ways, he, he has he has the players to fall back on. He, he could literally call a press conference and say, look, after careful consideration, after consulting with former players, Hall of Famers, executives, most importantly, current Major League Baseball players, I've come to the conclusion that the right thing to do is to vacate the 2017 World Series title. I'm not necessarily doing it for myself, although this is my decision, but the voices have been so unanimous and so loud. I will do this for the betterment of the game moving forward. Hopefully this allows us to move forward. And uh, while I cannot discipline individuals, I can punish. And I believe that the punishment to vacate the World Series would hopefully satisfy you know, the voices that I continue to hear. They are giving him a way out. And I, I would love to see him take advantage of it. And I think he caught a lot of flack for calling the World's, the Commissioner's Trophy, a piece of metal. Uh, I mean, that to me, I mean, Justin Turner ripped him in. I mean, a lot of people, I mean, yeah. how do you call the championship trophy a piece of metal? Yeah. Well, I think at that point, um, and I'll be honest, when he said it, I, I, I kind of believe I had in his mind what he was basically doing. He's saying, you guys are all focused on the trophy. And you're missing what I'm trying to do here, which is to get the truth. And ultimately, these guys will forever be labeled. You know, we have never forgotten the 1919 Black Sox. We talk about it all the time. In his mind, and only time will tell, the 2017 Astros will be talked about in the same vein. The problem with that is while there may be fact, and again, we won't know for another 20 to 40 years whether that's true, is that the players that have spoken and the organizations that are the loudest in all this are guys that are concerned about legacy, Hall of Fame, MVPs, and teams that are concerned about World Series. And I think they're so angry about it for one, for one particular reason, such as the legacy part of this is, you know, when Aaron Judge walks into a room when he's 55 years old, he could conceivably have said or been introduced the way you did with me, you know, 2017 most valuable player, Aaron Judge. 2017 World Series champion, Aaron Judge. The Dodgers and Bellinger, 2017 uh, World Series champions. There is a ton of cachet in, in those labels. It's like every golf tournament where Tiger Woods gets announced, you know, seven-time major winner in the U.S. Open, five green jackets, whatever the numbers are, that's how he's introduced. And you play the game for, you know, maybe three reasons. A, you love it, which is, I hope, the real reason. Two, for the financial gain. And three, for your legacy. And a cheating scandal like this uh, certainly is to the detriment of the individuals and teams' legacies I think that's why the players are so, so angry about it. Uh, you called, I mean, the Astros really dropped the ball in their press conference. Uh, it was a, a PR disaster. Yeah. You called it an epic failure, which is the perfect description. 
It reminded me of uh, last year with the Mets situation with the reporter from Newsday, Tim Healy, who's going to be a guest on later on in this podcast, uh, getting nearly attacked by uh, Jason Barkerson and Mickey Calloway. It took Calloway two uh, press conferences to offer one apology. So it seems like this is, I mean, somebody at the Astros should have said, you know, just apologize, get over with, and we, we move on. But now the apology is hollow, and now we're going to have, we could have beanball wars the way this thing's going. You could. You could also have, and this is far-fetched, but you could also have the Astros on opening day take the, take the commissioner's trophy, uh, present it at home plate, and say, we don't want this, we didn't earn it, uh, we, we apologize, and we are not 2017 World Series champions. You're absolutely right that they handled it. It was an epic failure. It was not successful. Um, you know, the disconnect oftentimes between those in the clubhouse and those of us that work in the media is, is Grand Canyon-esque. And, you know, you cited Callaway. The Astros have a bit of a history going now with how they've treated things from the Osuna screaming incident where you had one of the front office executives yelling in front of women reporters how happy they were that they got them after those reporters had pointed out that that flew in the face of the Astros' alleged philosophy of, uh, you know, being very black and white on uh, sexual abuse cases and things like that. Uh, they they have a they have a level of arrogance and they did nothing to douse it in that press conference and you know part of me does wish in spite of you know Manfred's sort of belief that the five million dollar fine and the subsequent uh, taking away of draft picks is punishment to the organization that's that's not going to fly with uh, the most of the baseball fans who who then you know within the next uh, seventy two hours discover. Uh, that UEFA decides that we're going to take Manchester City's ability to play competitively in the Champions League for two years away. That, that strikes you as a real punishment yeah. uh, when, it, when it is compared to what Rob did. Uh, one of uh, our readers, Jeffrey Weinstein, uh, when I, I posted on my Facebook page, I was going to be talking to you, he, he wrote, uh, Will uh, Rob Manfred survive this firestorm and what measures can be taken by the league to satisfy the disgruntled players and fans impacted by the Astros scandal and also... Does uh, the ridiculous playoff plan that he has uh, uh, proposed that he have any chance of coming to fruition? Um, well, you want me to answer those? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll start with the last one. Uh, other than the team being able to choose who they play, I wouldn't label any expanded playoff as ridiculous. Uh, I, I look, as a, as a guy in television, um, I've always been about urgency in baseball. I think baseball lacks urgency. And while I am a purist and grew up with the game, I, again, I use the analogy, if I had just come down from the moon and somebody told me, here are the basic tenets of baseball, you know, you got a bat, you got a ball, you got bases, you got three strikes and four balls, and, and, and we're really kind of reducing it to that. How long would I have a baseball game last? I'd have it last seven innings, because I think in any sport, uh, whether it's the fourth quarter of an all-star game in the NBA that we just saw an urgency to get to a particular number as opposed to a clock winding down, it created a far more competitive, enjoyable uh, product. I'm about urgency, and to me, if a game were seven innings long, innings four, five, and six become far more urgent than they are now, and you've got to listen to your constituents out there, and they do research. This is not some fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants by the proposition. It's rooted in people complaining about the dead time in games and how long 
games are. It's, it's why golf never became a wildly popular sport among the masses. It takes four hours to play 18 holes, if not longer. They get upset by it. Sudden death playoff. Urgency is what sports, in my opinion, need. And you do that by adding layers of playoffs. You do that by creating winner-take-all games. So I'm, I don't look at it ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, with regards to the Players Association of Major League Baseball, if they're able to work together, then that's, again, the, the sort of uh, tightrope they're walking. You'll see bylaws that will allow players who cheat uh, using sign-stealing and electronics to be disciplined. You will see discipline meted out, and it will be spelled out black and white. If you intentionally throw at somebody, you're going to suffer the consequences. And if we've learned nothing from Rob Manfred, when he says this is a significant and egregious violation, the punishment's going to be large, the punishment will be large. We have seen it with performance enhancers. I've got to believe that if they do come up with some bylaws and they start flirting with this ability to distinguish somebody's thoughts. Was that intentional? Was that not? I'm not. I think it was. That's 25 to 50 games. Look, there's a risk involved in that, but the punishment is going to be severe and significant. And then you're starting to say to yourself, do I really want to drill that guy? Because am I going to really hurt my team more uh, than help them? And if you're, look, if you're a member of a team that stinks and isn't going anywhere, probably wouldn't bother you to take 25 games off if you've if you've delivered the message for so many others. So I think those are the things that happen moving forward. We'll see far less video in clubhouses, but all of this is contingent on these two sides being able to work together. And before I let you go, uh, Carl, uh, Mark Mahoney's our uh, Gazette editorial page uh, uh, editor. He said he went to college with you at Ithaca College. He said he won't remember me. I think I was news director at WICB-FM when uh, you were at WICB-TV. Uh, he just wanted to say hello, and he uh, said you're going to do a great job with baseball and ESPN. Well, tell Mark I said thank you very much, and uh, from one bomber to another, as always, go Bombers. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, Carl, I appreciate a few minutes. I know you're busy, and I appreciate you, um, you know, giving me about 15 minutes of your time. And uh, uh, well, hopefully down the road we'll talk some more. And I uh, thank you all. Yeah, let's your... catch up again. Thank you for your Please, memories. I appreciate that. Yes, thank you for your memories of uh, Greg Mace as well. Yeah, I had uh, I have a big fondness for uh, Greg Mason for the uh, Central Pennsylvania area. Just driving to that Little League World Series every year, I see the sign for Harrisburg, and I know York isn't far away, and Lancaster. That was a, that's a place that holds a lot of very positive memories for me. So thank you very much. Well, Carl, I think appreciate it, Carl. That's Carl Ravage. We'll keep the baseball theme going as New York Daily News uh, Yankees beat writer Chrissy Acker joins me. You're listening to the Party Shots podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Castbox. Hi, this is Daily Gazette sports writer Mike McAdam. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette associate sports editor Ken Schott. Back on the Parting Shots podcast, let's see what's happening with the New York Yankees and the Tampa. They open spring training play Saturday against the Toronto Blue Jays. And joining me now is the Yankees beat writer for the New York Daily News. And I'm making her an official friend of the podcast. Here is Christy Ackert (laughs) of the New York Daily News. Christy, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for coming on. I know it's got a busy time of year down there. I mean, how crazy is it spring training uh, for not just for players but reporters? Because obviously, it's you know, a lot of early mornings, and uh, you know, maybe but you get done at a decent time, right? 
Um, you do some days, and you know, once the games start, it gets a little later. But um, you know, it's it's just completely different from what we do the rest of the year. So it's it's a little different. <laughs> it's a rough rough life having to you know, live in Florida for about a month, right? <laughs> I'm sorry. It's a rough life having to live in Florida for a month. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's a little better than shoveling snow. True. True. Well, let's uh, talk. Obviously, the big topic, uh, spring training, is uh, what took place. Obviously, the Astros cheating scandal, uh, the press conference that they had last week, uh, Rob Manfred's interview on ESPN. Uh, I had Carl Rogers Earl on earlier uh, in, the, in the podcast here. I mean, I mean both uh, uh, Brian Cashman, general manager, come out. Aaron Judge came out the other day. Uh, it seems like everybody is disgusted with what's going on with the Astros and uh, the, the, the really unapologetic apology that they uh, issued well they were pretty pathetic apologies so you can't really blame them for that but yeah I mean it is kind of surprising how much sniping is going on from player to player um, that's pretty unusual you didn't even see that during the steroid time so it's it's pretty unusual that you, you would see this I think that, you know, the fact that the, the players are granted immunity and then, you know, they have to come off uh, basically, you know, I guess, I just you know, really not, like I said, not apologetic of that press conference last week. And I think that really, that really set a lot of players off. And I, I really think we're going to see some uh, interesting games involved in the Astros. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if we see some beanball wars, especially uh, when the Yankees get together. I mean, you think about what happened in 2017. I mean, if that doesn't happen, maybe Joe Girardi's still managing the Yankees. Yeah, I mean, some people think that. I'm not really sure about that. I mean, I've heard from people in the organization that he was probably done. Um, but, you know, and, and you're going to have to be very careful with, with Manfred already issuing a warning on, on bean balls. You know, you're tying the hands behind the back of everybody. I mean, the Astros already have an advantage. If you throw inside and miss, you're in trouble. I think you might see it in the second half of the season when um, maybe the emphasis isn't still there. Um, but, yeah, I mean... You're see, I think you're seeing a reaction to them keep saying that, you know, the, the 2017 World Series is legit, and that angered a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, what are your thoughts about the whole situation? Do you think you know, it was, everything was mishandled from uh, MLB and the Astros? I, yeah. I mean, I think MLB mishandled it. I think the, the fine was light. I know you can't fine them more than $5 million, but, you know, he fired A.J. Hinch. He fired Jeff Lou now, so he's getting savings there. Um, he doesn't have to pay those first two round picks for the next two years, getting savings there. He didn't take away of any, any of his international pool money, so he can just dump it in there if he wants. Um, it's it's not exactly a tough punishment, if you ask me. Yeah. Uh, Luke Boyd was up here uh, uh, late last uh, month as uh, part of the uh, uh, Center for uh, Disabilities uh telethon and there was a press conference and I had a chance to ask him about um, the situation and I, I started to phrase the question it's been an interesting offseason he goes here we go because he knew what the question was going to be and he said it was something that we all knew was happening it finally came out it sucks uh, obviously the whole sign stealing stuff has been a part of the game forever the catcher puts down a sign the guy's on second he's going to be trying to steal your signs it's typical it's been around for 150 years uh, but to take technology into it and all that stuff that you guys found out about it, it sucks. And he, he basically called it it's a bunch of BS. 
uh, I, I have to agree with that. I mean, it's just uh, it's yeah, sign stealing is part of the game, but to go to that extra extent the way the Astros have, that just really. Uh, I think it, it, it annoyed him, and I think like you said it annoyed a lot of the Major League Baseball players. Well, I think I think a lot. I mean, everybody heard rumors about it for years, um, and you know the thing that I keep thinking about is the only thing they found in that investigation is what's been out there publicly already. So who knows what exa- actually was going on? There might be more. Um, yeah, it could be with Red Sox situation too. Who knows what's going to happen with that one? Right. So, you know, MLB knew, I am convinced MLB, I mean, there have been complaints about the Astros for years for them saying that they didn't know anything before. This is kind of, you know, BS. Um, And I think that's what, you know, you see frustration. A lot of officials called MLB on them. So it's, it's, you know, you're seeing a lot of anger come out and a lot of people feel that way. Well, let's, let's talk about the Yankees and spring training. Let's get into that a little bit. Uh, you, I wrote a story uh, in today's New York Daily News that uh, Aaron Judge was not able to hit or throw because soreness in his right shoulder. Uh, how concerning is this? I mean, it's got to be concerning that your star comes into camp and he can't participate right away fully. Um, you know, he's not had a full season in two years because of injuries. Um, you know, today was interesting and I kind of thought about it after Boone spoke yesterday and said there showed no change in Aaron Judge's right shoulder. Well, that's not the same as being no structural damage. So he said that, you know, there's been something in Judge's right shoulder since they drafted him. They wouldn't elaborate on what it is. Um, but that's concerning. So it sounds like he's going to be all right. He actually played light catch today. He was tossing lightly. Um, and there, he was he was tracking pitches i would assume he's going to swing soon so we'll see yeah. i mean it's something definitely something to keep your eye on well i guess the big the big uh attention is going to be on uh, garrett cole the pitcher uh from the astros I mean, how, how has he looked and has he addressed the uh astros situation he said uh, he saw nothing heard nothing knew nothing uh, today he was asked about the comments of the, his Yankee teammates, and he said, you know, whatever, that's their opinion, and he's fine with it. Um, he's looked good. I mean, he looks like an ace. He's a very, apparently, you know, analytical pitcher, and not, not necessarily that he's looking at the numbers all the time, but he's tweaking and working on his pitches. He threw live batting practice today and look really good. I'm assuming he'll look very good. Yeah. How, are, how is the camp in general right now? I mean, is, uh, is Aaron Boone happy with things, the way things are going right now? Yeah, I mean, this is just the first stages where everybody's doing drills, so there's not a lot to be upset with. Um, you know, it's, it's the happy time. There's a lot of guys around, a lot of guys trying to make impressions. Aaron Boone's running from field to field. It's, you know, it's their happiest time of the year. Is there one player in particular that may you know, be on the bubble, One a veteran player that I mean, has to really make a mark that, to, to keep, stay around? A uh, veteran player, I guess Jonathan Holder possibly. Um, you know, he lost his bullpen job last year. He's got to work for it this year. Tyler Wade could possibly be the 26th player. So I think those are guys that are, are playing for a lot this spring. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as uh, the other pitchers, yeah, Tommy Canley, how's he looked, uh, the Shaker High School product? Uh, you know, I haven't watched him that much because it's just uh, it's been a busy, you know, keeping track of Cole and, and Judge and that. Um, but I hear him in the clubhouse all the time. He sounds happy and loud as usual. 
Has he talked about his uh, and my my favorite football team, the Eagles? Has he talked about them at all? He has with other people. I haven't participated in that. Well, if you get a chance, tell him I said uh, hello and uh, you know, fly Eagles, fly. Okay, I will. So, uh, so spring training, obviously the games get going. Uh, how much are the players looking forward to get getting into the games after you know all the workouts? Um, you know, I mean, they're just this is their routine they're used to it this is a whole thing with them you know having to wake up early in the morning you know right now they can go off and play golf afterwards so that's not a bad thing for them um you know i guess they're looking forward to games pitchers more than anybody else because they just need that routine yeah uh with james paxton made the news he's going to be out uh, several months i think it was a back injury uh what's the update with him well, you know, how, how much does this hurt the yankees I mean, it's a considerable shot. He was pitching really, really well at the end of last season. And, you know, I, I, he says he's very optimistic. They're very optimistic he'll be back in May. I would be surprised by that. Um, we'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's a, another thing to keep your eye on. Yeah. Well, you can follow Christie's uh, t- updates on the Yankees on Twitter at any time at, by, uh, at by Chrissy Ackert. Uh, Christy, thanks again for coming on. Uh, we'll talk right again right around the uh, start of the season. Sounds good. Thanks for having right. me on. Thanks, Christy. That's Christy Ackert. Up next, we talk about the Mets with Newsday's Tim Healy, and we'll talk to Tim about his college hockey writing career. You're listening to the Party Shots podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and CastBox. Podcast, and now we move over to Port St. Lucie and the New York Mets. They have split squad games against the St. Louis Cardinals and Miami Marlins on Saturday. And here to talk about the Mets is another friend of the podcast, Newsday's Tim Healy. Tim, uh, welcome back, and how are things in Port St. Lucie? Things are great in Port St. Lucie. A little too warm for my liking as a Northeast guy, but it's hard to complain when you're down here watching and writing about baseball things for work. So uh, no, no complaints from me. Uh, that's good. That's good to hear. So, But before we get into the Mets, I learned something about you uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, I was on Twitter, and I noticed you had, made it, had a tweet commenting on the uh, the bean pot, and it turns out yeah. I, I found out that you covered the BU men's hockey team for three seasons when you were a student at BU. How much, how much fun I, was that? It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. I, as an aspiring sports journalist, uh, BU was great, and just because of the sports situation at BU, it was the hockey beat that you know was the top beat. You know, football, basketball doesn't really do much, so it was a real thrill to cover big time college hockey as a student at BU. I got lucky and, and covered a couple of really cool years. Um, you know, Jack Parker's last year, followed by David Quinn's first year. So the, the timing was pretty cool, pretty fortunate for me, and uh, I had a lot of fun covering those teams. What was it like to cover a man like Jack Parker, who is very intense and is a guy who is no-nonsense? Very intense and no-nonsense is a good way to put it. I think it prepared me pretty well, actually, for dealing with, you know, major professional sports, covering 
you know, the, the, the Don Mattingly's in Miami and the Mickey Calloway's in New York, guys who themselves are pretty, pretty intense. And, uh, you know, college hockey doesn't get as big a stage as Major League Baseball, obviously, but um, I feel like it was a really good stepping stone. And uh, interviewing Parker all those times was a good way for me as a young writer to learn uh, how to perhaps more tactfully ask questions after uh, games that maybe didn't go so well. Yeah. <laughs> what was David Quinn like? I mean, I mean, I think it was his first year they went to the, the championship game, the Frozen Four. And then, uh, of course, that interesting goal there late in the game. Oh, uh, the, yeah, the Jack Eichel year was the year after I graduated. Oh, was it? Okay. So I, wasn't around that, I wasn't around the team on a daily basis then, but uh, I, was, I was actually involved in covering that Frozen Four um, unrelatedly. Um, that was that was an interesting goal. And as Matt O'Connor said afterwards, sometimes you'll lose a puck in the life at the garden. <laughs> I mean, did you ever think David Quinn would become an NHL coach? Um, you know, people talked about it when he was there. He had come from the AHL. He'd been an assistant in the NHL. So it was sort of a uh, uh, a potential eventuality, definitely. But I didn't think it was, it was going to happen as soon as it did. Um, but when it seemed like the Rangers comes calling, it's, it's hard to say no, which uh, obviously Quinn found to be the case for better or for worse for him, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, all right, let's move on to the Mets. Uh, we do have to talk about the Astros cheating Siena because it, it ended up costing uh, Carlos Beltran uh, his job as Mets manager because he was named in the, the investigation. Uh, now, Luis Rojas is in charge. I mean, how things have how have things been with uh, Rojas uh, running uh, the show? It, it's been it's been good. It's been good. It's been uh you know in these in this first week and change of spring training, it's hard to tell what real differences will exist. What's going to be interesting to me is not only once exhibition games start this weekend, but um, you know when really the big the big test. Let's be honest, the big test for a rookie manager in the majors is how you handle things when things don't go well. And because this is this is the Mets. These, these are the Mets. Um, that eventually will definitely happen. So uh, the early signs on Rojas are very positive. He's uh, smart. The players like him. Uh, pretty good communicator. He's stressing all the usual things this time of year, like fundamentals and communication and all of that stuff. Um, but we won't really get to know Luis Rojas as a manager until we see him start managing. What has been the mood uh, around the Mets concerning the Astros cheating scandal? Me, are, are they as outraged uh, as the Astros? You know, the, the Astros' weak apology and uh, Commissioner Manfred's handling of the situation as most other major league players are. The, the Mets publicly haven't been as vocal about it as a lot of other major leaguers across Florida and Arizona right now. Uh, it feels like every day you see somebody new from Cody Bellinger to Mike, Mike Trout to Aaron Judge and John Carlos Stanton popping off, and reasonably so popping off on the Astros. The rhetoric from the Mets has been more limited. Michael Conforto has been perhaps the strongest with his words, just in talking about how, quote-unquote, everybody's been locked in on it. Um, so it's been less public anger from the Mets. But what's interesting about their situation is they have two sets, a pair of 2017 Astros on their roster in Jake Marisnik and J.D. Davis. So um, it's a little bit of a weird dynamic there. Um, Marcus Stroman has set another example, tweeted a few weeks ago uh, about how he thought the Astros, Astros were ruining the integrity. 
game. So there's definitely some anger in the Mets clubhouse, but I think it's mostly passing. Yeah. I mean, I, I watched the, pre- the Astros press conference last week, and the way they handled things, I immediately thought of you and what happened in your situation with Mickey Calloway and Jason Vargas last season. I mean, it ended up taking two Mickey Calloway press conferences to apologize uh, you know, with the situation involving you. And I'm, I'm thinking, are the Astros going to do this to have a similar second press conference? Because they, they – I, I just found they, they dropped the ball on it. What did you think of their press conference? Yeah, it was – It was. Uh, the sentiment seemed to be that the Astros did a really good job, and I, I have to agree with that, that, uh, you know, this comes out in November. The report from Major League Baseball comes out in January. You have several weeks until pitchers and catchers. You have to do better than that. I don't know what the PR philosophy or thinking or advice is on the Astros side, but um, Astros PR has had a really rough uh, probably four months in the, or you know six or seven months, uh, a whole bunch of different scenarios that they've handled very poorly. Um, so the disaster, the, the Astros, that's pretty funny. The, the Astros were, were kind of disastrous that day and a, and a bunch of days recently. Well, let's uh, talk a little more about the Mets. I mean, after missing last season because of a fractured ankle, uh, you know, caused of, uh, because of an accident on his ranch, Yonis uh, Cespedes is back in camp uh, this season. And how does he greet uh, the media? By telling them he won't talk to them today, tomorrow, or next year. Uh, why is why is he uh, being putting apparently an idiot? Uh, Cespedes with reporters and with sometimes with, you know, members of his own team or staff members of his own of his own team has always been pretty hot and cold. Sometimes he doesn't want to talk to reporters. Sometimes he does. Sometimes he's moody and disgruntled about it. Sometimes he's hilarious. He has a great personality when he wants to show it. Um, but right now he doesn't want to show it. Um, I'd love to tell you why Cespedes, why specifically Cespedes doesn't want to talk to reporters, but he wouldn't tell us because we're reporters. So <laughs> I don't know exactly what's going on in his mind. It could be that he's unhappy generally with how he's being portrayed in the media. Um, you know, over the all season, the story about how he got in a fight with the wild boar came out, and that's how he broke his ankle. Um, and after the encounter with the wild boar, um, so it, it could be any number of things. Before spring training started, he released one of his famous hype videos on social media, and that included, uh, it was black and white with Cespedes doing all sorts of baseball and physical activities, and the soundtrack to it was various criticisms from analysts and reporters on TV, um, just letting that sound play over this video of Cespedes getting ready for the season. So uh, he certainly has a lot of feelings, even if he doesn't want to share those feelings. Do you think maybe somebody from the Mets PR department might pull him aside and say, look, I mean, you caused your own problems last year. I mean, you know, you're unhappy with the fact that your salary got cut. Maybe just, you know, cooperate a little bit and uh, maybe, you know, the, your image can change a little bit. Mets PR has tried. <laughs> Sometimes it's, uh, trying isn't enough when it comes to Cespedes. He's, he's definitely going to make his own decisions there. So what are you expecting from the Mets uh, in this spring training uh, season? Uh, what, what are the expectations? Uh, as far as camp goes? Yeah, as far as camp goes, I mean, it seems like the, Rojas thinks this team can win. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a fair assessment. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. The, the Mets don't have a ton to decide. It, yes, Ross thinks the team can win. The players think the team can win. Um, that is a reasonable opinion for the Mets to have. I am not as confident as them, but I think it's definitely possible um, for them to compete for a playoff spot. They just need some things to go their way. As far as spring training specifically, they don't have very much to decide in terms of rocket spots or competition, job competitions. What's most interesting there is that they have six starting pitchers for five spots. So something eventually we'll have to give there, whether it's you know, an injury, which is oftentimes inevitable for somebody or somebody going to the bullpen, things like that. But the way it looks right now is it's got they have two spots in the rotation for Rick Porcello, Stephen Mass, and Michael Waka in some order. Um, I didn't list them in any particular order. Uh, so that's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out over the next uh, month plus. Or. Well, you can follow Tim on Twitter at Tim B. Healy. Uh, Tim, thanks again uh, for coming on, and we'll talk uh, before the start of the season next month. Sounds good. Thank you, Ken. All right, thank you, Tim. Uh, that's Tim Healy. Uh, back up to uh, wrap up the podcast in just a moment. Hey, NASCAR fans. It's time to rev up the engines and play the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest. Each week during the 36-week racing season, you pick 10 drivers. If you have the week's best point total, you'll receive a $50 Hannaford gift card. If you have the best point total for the season, you'll win a $250 Hannaford gift card. Be part of the fun. Go to dailygazette.com slash autoracing. Get your motor running and play today. Back to wrap up the podcast. If you're a college hockey fan, look for my weekly ECAC hockey face-off selections at dailygazette.com slash sports slash parting shots. You can participate in the face-off selections by emailing your picks to me at shots, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. There's only two weeks left in the regular season. Hard to believe it's going fast. Union Hockey beat writer Mike McGannon joins me for the next College Hockey-Centric podcast Friday, February 21st. We will look back at the Union men's road losses against Cornell and Colgate and look ahead to what could be the team's final home games of the season against Princeton and Quinnipiac. We'll have interviews with Dutchman players Dylan Anhorn and Owen Farris and head coach Rick Bennett. If you have questions about Union hockey, Mike and I will answer them. Send your questions to shot at dailygazette.com. That wraps up another edition of the Party Shots podcast. I'd like to thank ESPN's Carl Ravitch, Christy Ackert of the New York Daily News, and Tim Healy of Newsday for coming on the show. The Party Shots Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and CastBox. Subscribe today. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shots at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Party Shots Podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Parting Shots Podcast is a production of Gazette Newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots Podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports.